Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. On day 13 of the Australian Open, we are recording this, Courtney, after the women's final in which Naomi Osaka won her fourth Grand Slam title, improving to 4-0 in Grand Slam finals, beating American Jennifer Brady 6-4-6-3. Thoughts on this match? Let's just, we can, we'll go small picture first and bigger picture later, but what are your thoughts on this women's final yeah. that we just saw? I think that it encapsulated for me a lot of what the two weeks was was about mm. which is just how fine the margins are like i mean as much as you know people are going to wake up they're going to see that score line at six four six three oh that sounds pretty routine sounds like you know a dominating straight set thing but you know for more than half of that match we didn't know which way that that first set was going to go and it really came down to two almost mirror like points which was you know osaka having to face down a break point that was generated by an incredible like play from Jen Brady, the forehand chop return that landed as a drop shot. Naomi ran up, got it, and then Brady lobbed her to set up a break point, um, which Naomi then saved, which a, with a big heavy forehand off to the side um, for a winner. Saved that, wiped that out, was able to hold to uh, to four uh, to five four, and then in the very next game, Brady unable to close out a forty fifteen lead, and Osaka this time at Deuce coming up with an insane backhand stab. That ball loops in the air, lands plumb on the baseline, surprises Jen. She misses it to give up set point, and then story of two forehands. Naomi was able to save her break point with a big forehand. This time Brady nets it. So that kind of put everything, you know, and so then, yes, there's a six game run in the middle of it that uh, that Naomi runs off. So it's kind of a weird one where, yes, you could describe it as a dominating win, but you could also say it kind of teetered even up until the end because Brady started to come back a little bit and it was a 40-30 hold in the end that got Naomi out of that out of that match. I'm going to say something I don't think I've ever said before. Oh my god! I almost wish this match was in a longer format. Oh, <laughs> because because it had room for like some plot twists, right? It was pretty clearly like the run of play was kind of like fifty five forty five towards Osaka the whole way. I felt like right, but within that, there were there were times when it became competitive and moments. Obviously, when the first set tightened, sure. And then there was obviously the moment in the middle of the match where Osaka won the set, won the first set and then reeled off a three love lead, four love lead in the in the second set that made it kind of feel like okay it's kind of over but then there was brady was starting to come back but then quite have enough room left really to to finish it off so maybe if it was longer there would more room for twists and turns i think osaka still wins this match but uh but yeah corny go ahead no I, I just put my finger up rudely just because i did want to say though to counterbalance ben's hot take that more sets of this would have been better which maybe Justify they would have been five ever yeah. sure of course but if it's best of five, you don't play the, the match the same way. Oh, and this is not. the thing. And not. and this is something that I kept thinking about, you know, the Serena match with, with Naomi, you know, Muguruza, like all of these matches that were played. Um, and then tonight's final is it felt like I, people see me probably make this reference on Twitter a lot because it is my reference, but it's playoff baseball. Baseball during the regular season is a chill ass game, man. Like you just sit in the stands, you eat some, you eat your potato chips and your your yeah. your peanuts, and you just chill. Something happens, whatever. But it becomes playoff baseball. Every pitch 
you're watching, you know, oh my gosh, it's 2-1 count. Oh, but what if it goes 2-2? Like every single pitch matters. And playoff baseball is a completely different beast. That to me is best of three versus best of five. To me, best of three, every game, every swing, every point, every 30 all point could decide the match, you know? And that's what makes it exciting. So I don't know that if you you space it out, if Naomi feels the pressure to come up with her best tennis, because her back's not actually against the wall. You know, I agree. I know, with you. you know, I know. I I know, you know, I know, I know. I mean, I, I invented the knowing of this, you know, kind of. I feel like I was just thinking, <laughs> especially in this match and in the Serena match also, that because I think maybe it's because Osaka and she plays short points and she's pretty quick between points and the courts are playing pretty quick. It was just moving fast in terms of time on the clock. Sure. Like these were just not long, you know, feature length epics on any level. Which I think is their fine, average but... rally length was less than three shots. It might have been like yeah, three point so, five, so three shots. It was shots, just like so. it was. It was very. It was very expeditious tennis, right? It's... So just for the sort of like wanting to savor it more, I was sort of like, I wish there was more to this. Not that. Not that I actually think the other format is better. <laughs> I never have, never will. But I not never have. I have not for a long time and won't again. Probably let's put it that way. But uh, I'm sure in my, in my wayward youth, I'm sure I was you know <laughs> drinking drinking those five packs of Kool Aid. But um, it was, yeah, at once competitive, but also, like, never felt totally like Osaka was in danger, per se. I think like, that's right, you know, yes. even even if it was scoreboard competitive, Brady was still going to have to, Brady never really got in a position where she was, like, leading and having to close it out, which always would have been the tightest part, and that's where Osaka's best. So it was never, like, panic for Brady, per se, either. I never got the sense, either, that Naomi was all that tight or bothered either really i i I sort of even bring that all the way up to like her celebration at the end just like it was very much sort of like for winning a grand slam it was pretty muted it was like hey and this goes to my sort of thought which someone else asked a similar question in press i was going to ask this in in press but someone else asked something a little too similar to it before so i didn't want to retread about where she's just in this kind of mode of like now she's starting to appear on like all-time slam winner graphics. Like ESPN put up a graphic of like active women in the how many slams they won, and Naomi's there at four, just behind Serena at twenty-three, well, way behind Serena at twenty-three, but Serena's on the graphic too, and then Venus at seven, then Naomi at four, and Kleister's I guess is active at four, and then Kerber at three. She's in sort of in sort of collection mode of running up the score mode of like of amassing mode, whatever you want to call it, like this stage of her career where she's sort of just you know tallying off things. Yeah, and, and so that just it just sort of seemed like a business trip to me in that sense. It was like, oh, did what I wanted to do, came here, got number four. That's another notch on my on my belt, and on to the next. And it, that that way, this final, especially because I think she was a really clear favorite in this final, it just felt it felt more like business than a than a real scare. Yeah, and and I do think that you know, in in the way that she has discussed the Australian Open and and over the course of the two weeks. In a lot of ways, it was that they they even the language that she used to discuss, like, you know, we would sit down with my team and we'd talk about what my goals were for the match. Like there wasn't this was the most secure and and just chilled. I mean, as this is all relatively speaking, but chilled out run to a title that she's had. You know, I mean, the first one was 
irrespective of everything else, it was the first one. Like it was yeah. truly unexpected, you know, and and it was fraught, you know, and, and, it, and you would understand why she would be so racked in that one. The second one with Kavitova, that was a dramatic run to the title. I mean, she was on she was teetering constantly playing these three set matches. You know, she was she had a moment of just kind of emotional kind of um, a bit of a crack in the, that 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 final all these sorts of things then you know the u.s open with with you know pandemic and obviously the masks and everything yeah. that was going on that was also fraught this one was as she said i came down here with only tennis on my mind right yeah. like you know it was you come down you knock it out and and you go and and when i spoke to her for for the wt insider champs corner um plug plug but but i asked her something very similar of just like was this is it safe to say that this was you know kind of the most secure run that you've had and and she said yeah you know it, it just you know not that it wasn't stress free and all that sort of stuff but it was it was calm the way that that everything went down and a lot of that has to do with just naomi's own growth um you know the big talking point from from her and from her team has been about how open and how how tight she's come to be with Wim and Nana and Yutaka and everyone and how vulnerable she's allowed herself to be with yeah. them. And so that, and as Wim said, he's like, you know, if you talk about it, you release the pressure, right? If you tell me that you're nervous, then there's the, the, you release the pressure. And that is a huge night and day from how she exited this tournament 12 months ago. You no. know, because that was you saw it the like two points into the golf match. Like this doesn't feel this isn't going to be good. <laughs> like, you know, she was a no. wreck. <laughs> no, and she spoke about that or maybe I think she spoke about it. The conversation or someone, one of the either she or Wim, I'm getting my interviews confused at this point, spoke about having a conversation after the three best Tormo loss right. last February in Fed Cup where she lost really badly that match. It was the last match she played before the pandemic set in and stopped the tour. And she and after they just said, you know, we need to be more open and honest about how we're, you know, feeling or and whatever. And she's lived up to that. And right now, cruise control sounds dismissive, but like she's on this like at this really good cruising altitude at least, or she's like she's doing things in a way, even even honestly down match points to Muguruza in the fourth round, where it didn't really feel like she had to panic. Like she just always was very much she didn't look like she was panicking at all. She was just very much okay, I'm still doing my thing and doing it. And it's interesting to compare her to a little bit to, we can get to him maybe at the end or something, to Medvedev, who's also on this 20-match win streak. His is different because he's hasn't pulled out a bunch of tournaments. His has been much more condensed. He's started you know, after, at Paris-Bercy, which is basically the last regular season tournament of last season. So they're different, definitely, in sort of the c compactness. But also, like, there's this real, if it's not broke, don't fix it mentality. And, like, I'm going to set the the bar here and the field can or can't clear it. And especially in these last two rounds with Brady, three rounds, even who I'm going to throw Sue in there, Sue and Serena and Brady didn't really come that close to, to clearing the bar or grabbing the bar. Like Naomi was just better. And, and she's your champion. She, and that's why I was picking her pre-tournament and never really wavered. And yeah, there we have it. So it just, it just feels like, it just feels like business it just feels like kind of checking the box, doing the things and, it's interesting because we haven't, like, in the sort of, like, era, honestly, of, like, NCR. Maybe Serena had this a bit, stretches. But, like, we haven't had somebody, well, that was different. But, like, in the era of NCR, I would say we haven't had anybody, like, early in their sort of, like, becoming an all-timer 
phase, right? Right. True. Like we were we were after when even the Belgians were doing it, when Serena was doing it, when Venus was doing it. Sharapova, her wins were spaced out enough that it was never really like I'm the player, like hugely at one point. Maybe Djokovic was sort of doing it. No, he 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 started before we got going, but. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting sort of thing to have to lock back into. Like, oh, we're sort of here. We are. We're in the you know off and running, and it's just an interesting sort of phase to be in. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting to talk about it from like a business, like you know, business, like she's just doing it kind of perspective because or checking checking boxes. I think was your language, because I do think that one of the the interesting things that the, the wrinkles to Naomi's kind of um. The reason why she can't be in cruise control is because of clay and grass. It's the mm, ultimate yeah, yeah, yeah. in in almost keeping her honest, which is actually so fascinating to me um, because it what is going to happen. And she knows it, too, is that like, you know, she she has these great starts to the season, you know, because it's on hard courts. And then she yeah. has this three or three month section of the season where she doesn't perform as well and everybody starts talking about her as though she sucks at tennis again remember like uh like Stuttgart and my and Madrid and like Roland Garros have kind of like people being like like you know she's nothing like the UK doesn't know Naomi Osaka because she doesn't win matches in the UK Europe in general kind of is is kind of this weird outlier of like You know, Asia Pacific and and the U.S. have seen and and attached to themselves to her, but but Europe, her results have not been as good. So in that way, I think that it's actually even better for her career wise because she isn't going to be able to be in cruise control almost ever, because she will go through this hard court phase and she will be great, but she will also know that there is this huge speed bump. And I say this relative to her hard court results, because I think that she's a great clay court player. She just needs time. Um, She's already made Stuttgart semis to a quarterfinal in Madrid, quarterfinal in Rome, three third rounds in Roland Garros. I mean, that's not bad. That doesn't mean you don't know how to play on clay. So the opportunities are there. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's so unfair to her because she's just had this great result. And it's incredible. And the statistics that you read off of what she's been able to accomplish in the last, you know, over the last four years is insane. But I want to fast forward to the clay season and I want to see and I want to see what Wim can do with her on clay. I want to see what Wim can do with her on on grass. I want to I'm I'm just curious, you know, because that's that's the game changer is if she becomes a threat on on more than just one surface at the slams, then. Yeah, yeah. then you start looking at the records like and the, the, and, and- the record books a little bit more seriously. It's interesting to process, too, because we really I was thinking about this and I really don't think we've had somebody who is functionally so clearly at the slam level, at least a hardcore specialist like this. I mean, there's no other way to put it when she's won four slam titles at the two hardcore slams and hasn't made even a fourth round of the other two yet. Like that's a huge gap in in results. And so even like. Even like Kleister's, who's maybe the most recent one. Kleister won all four of her slams on hard courts, also three U.S. and one in Australia. But Kleister started off her career making a couple French Open finals and made uh, Wimbledon semi at least once, maybe twice. I can't remember off the top of my head. And, you know, Vika. maybe the closest comparison. Vika, too. Yeah, but Vika was also making, like, deepish runs. She made semis, and, and it's kind of really been nothing from her standards. Like, not even a second week in Paris for Wimbledon. That's a, it's a big achievement cap. 
at the at the moment. Like judging for her sure. by Naomi Osaka yeah. standards, it's not very much at all. And that's standards you have to judge Naomi Osaka by as Naomi Osaka standards. So it's almost like almost like uh, I don't know. It's almost like Rafa, where Rafa was obviously starting off so big on clay and was like the clay guy. And we think of clay being a more specialty surface, and we kind of think of hardcore being kind of neutral, at least traditionally. Like it's the sort of one in the middle between clay and grass. And maybe that's changed over time with how the surfaces are shifting. We think that because we're Americans. But like maybe if you're you're like, you're Spanish, but it's also clay yeah. is the neutral surface. <laughs> well, for Rafa, it certainly is for sure. You know but it I'm, is saying? Like, I'm just saying I'm just saying neutral because it's like seventy percent of the tour, right? It's like kind of the default surface. Sure, sure, like, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's no, I know. Play what the you're most saying. places, it's the most time. Anyway, but yeah. Um, so it'll be inter- I think it's an interesting narrative for her, and I know that she's going to embrace it. I, I'm curious how much pressure she's going to put herself for it. Like I remember, you remember after she won- had won the last two slams when going into the twenty. 20- 19 French Open. She was putting like a lot of pressure on herself to win that tournament. And it was yeah, kind of like lost being a little bit more, yeah, a little more performative. She had that great win in the second round against Azarenka and then sort of was just like spent and kind of dead in that third round against Siniakova when she lost. Yeah. So it'll be, that's an interesting narrative to watch for sure. And it just comes to this time, I think, to shift a little more big picture before we get maybe to Brady um, separately that like it's coming at this time when I looked at the top 20 or like the projected rankings top 20. And it kind of strikes me, and I know this is almost how it's designed to be because of the rankings freeze and stuff, but, like, those names seem to be, like, they're in a fairly random order to me. Like, I look and I'm like, wow, like, Sviantek's only 18-ish or so, but, like, Pliskova's, like, number six, but she hasn't really been doing anything. And then, like, Barty's still number one, but she's still, you know, obviously a good result, but hasn't been playing really that much at all. Sivalink had a good tournament and moves down. Like, you know, like, I, I was looking at it and sort of being like, what is... Everything's in flux is basically what I'm saying. And I I think that it's nice to have this sort of Naomi narrative to, to latch onto during this time. Because in a lot of ways, we talked about this, um, or I talked about whoever I did the semifinal show with, I guess it wasn't you. But we talked about it maybe just even in the chat or whatever, that like in our group chat, that like three of the four U7 semifinalists were also Australian Open semifinalists. So there is, in some ways not really a real paradigm shift in like, oh, who's the new ruling class? Oh, who's the new person? You know, it's not like, oh, what well, here comes Sviantek or oh, here comes Kennan, like the other slams last year. And maybe even that consistency is a paradigm shift in its own way. It's like, oh, wait, we actually get to get used to people. Like we actually like, it's not just a one-off. You can actually start maybe reading into more and buying more stock or whatever you want to say in an Osaka, in a Brady, in a Sabalenka even. I do think she proved herself a lot in this tournament. Yeah, it's a... Uh, it's yeah. interesting short of time no, where I think things totally are fair. gonna start settling in what is like I said, still in the rankings, especially looking at Sviantek, being like, How are you not closer to top ten? Um uh yeah. It's yeah. No, yeah. It no, it's it's uh I mean, even with Sviantek, I mean, okay, yes, she would have the two thousand from Roland Garros, but outside of that, what I mean, she she just matched her points this year, didn't she? From last year, round of 16? I guess so. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah. Well, no, it makes sense so, when you break no. it down that way. But I was, I was thinking yeah. of it being like, oh, she had such a good match against Hallam. She's like really in the mix and that great, like she was part of that star-studded day of the order play. And like, so you're right up there well, in that course. group. And it's just, anyway, yeah. I but that's, but saying, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I totally understand what you're saying, which is that like the players, in other words, there is a section, a group of players that have set themselves apart 
um, as being the ones to watch. It's just that right now, because of the rankings freeze, that group of players are not the group of players that you see at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, which is yeah. obviously what we are, what the ranking should reflect and what we're used to seeing. I do find it funny though, because like I've seen a lot of people like complaining about the two year ranking for, or like whatever the ranking freeze. And I'm always kind of like, you guys know that this is what like Del Potro and Rafa wanted. And everybody's like, that sounds amazing. Let's do that. And it's like, now we've done it and you guys are all mad. Like, I don't, you know, and meanwhile, this is not because of injury that we're doing it we're doing it because literally people can't enter tournaments because of a global pandemic yeah but i understand what you're saying which is that the players that we consider to be and maybe that's why and maybe you know like this is where now that we you know obviously we're, we're back to on monday we'll have like race rankings you know the the race to Shenzhen. Maybe those will be far more. It'll shake out mm. to be far more of an accurate reflection of the state, the current state of the tour, rather than the the frozen rankings, which are going to take some time to kind of normalize and catch up. Is Shenzhen gonna be like a normal year, just calendar year twenty twenty one? Calendar year twenty twenty one. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure because it wasn't a Shenzhen twenty twenty three. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm not saying this to be at all like. Oh, this is wrong. I think no, no, we told no, this know. during, you know, I, I totally know what you're ago. saying. Yeah, yeah. I, I know, I know, I know. You know, I'm just telling for reader for Sorry. readers for listeners too. Like, I think this was a sort of having the rankings make sense was sort of a necessary sacrifice to put it bluntly. Like, it was not important that like they'd be. I think I completely, totally respect that. Like, giving someone like Ash Barty the right to say I don't feel safe or comfortable or whatever or able whatever to go travel away from my COVID state country into COVID riskier places with my coach and whatever, you know, before we get a vaccine or whatever and letting her keep her points. I'm not begrudging any of that. I'm just saying, looking at this, of this list and there's various people on here I could point to like, I mean, Burton's, I feel like we've hardly seen and she's, you know, smack in the middle of this top 20 at number uh, rough. I, these are not official rankings, but like at 11 on this live thing. And Andrescu is her own sort of, you know, <laughs> in and out situation and whatever. And then you see like Merton's who's way down at 17. And she was like, she should be higher because she's so consistent and, great and almost feels like i don't know wta like rublev on some level at this point you know in terms of just being yeah, in the no, mix yeah. and, and always there and like um benchich seems like she's like higher than she should be or whatever just like it's which all sort of funny in, in flux which is funny though because again like when we st when we did the draw preview or the draw reaction tournament preview yeah. and we analyzed the draw i think we were ready for freaking carnage like the way that those two halves broke out and, yeah. you know, everybody landed at the bottom. It's like, oh, you know, and oh, Naomi's got the toughest draw of anybody. And, you know, is this going to work out? Is this going to, oh, maybe this is going to be, you know, Sakari or or Azarenka, you know, coming out of that bottom quarter of the top half, all these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And by the middle, by the time that we hit the turn, like middle Sunday, effectively, there was an abundance of chalk. It was kind of crazy how few massive upsets were happening that had implication. In other words, for as much as the rank, I mean, I'm not saying that it was chalk like by ranking, but the players that you like when you went like and you you sat and you looked like matchup by matchup, you're like, I think that player, I mean, there were a few shocks here and there, but for the most part, it wasn't as catastrophic as I was genuinely expecting it to be. Because the players who are playing well, like for the most part, maybe... Zachary is probably like the biggest one that I thought was going to go far and didn't. Um, but yeah, like people kind of held up. 
and this goes to a conversation on Brady because we're talking about the top half here, basically, mm -hmm. right? Because the bottom half really was pretty close to numbers chalk yeah. also in, in addition to being that. But there were a bunch of upsets in the top half. I kind of disagree, right? That didn't ring right when you, the way you were framing it because I you see like Pagula making a quarterfinal and like what she was able to do beating Azarenka and beating uh, Svitolina en route. Like, I don't think we really saw that coming. Like, Kanepi beating Kennan we saw coming completely. Like, that was like, like, almost like a joke how obvious that upset was. And then Pliskova, I don't think we really had high hopes for, per se, in this tournament. Um, and then Barty losing to Mukova somewhere in the middle well, of, yeah, like, not that's total shock. Second but like... week, though. I mean, that's at okay, that second, point. Okay, second week. I'm okay, say, maybe I'm, I'm saying... Turn of the turn by the end of the first week, it was not chalk by number, but like you, if you were paying attention, the results were not that shocking. Like, and I say this as no, somebody who no. sits there and has to like, you know, be prepared for like what is going to, you know, because like when the upsets, ha you know, happen, like you just have to write on the and educate people. But I, like I said, the one that I did not see coming was Mladenovic over Sakari in the first round. That was stunning. Um, yeah. But outside of that, I mean, the way that Jesse's been playing wasn't really I think, surprising i think it's a question honestly of what counts for shocking any more women's tennis i think it's one thing that's just like can we even use that word with the depth of like the top 50-ish players when, because like pagula you know we know like we're we're paying close enough attention to to the tour that like we know a pagula we know the kind of results she's been putting up and so when we see her beating winning matches it's not a big surprise that she was doing this right yeah well not, um, okay. no 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 i'm just saying that like I mean, I guess I don't know. Like, I, I just maybe, maybe, maybe I have, maybe I just regard Jesse Pagula at a level that is outsized of what anybody else would. But I mean, she's she's not a top fifty player. Sure. So her making a quarter should be a surprise on paper. On paper, I don't know. I'm just saying that, like, as I like I said, I'm not saying chalk. Like, you know, like, uh, yeah, just like you go by ranking. That's my, I'm saying who you thought was playing well played well. This goes right into Brady, I think, because Brady is somebody, again, who comes into this tournament. And I talked about this. I know I talked about this with Reem on the semi on the sem, on the finals preview show we did. Brady comes into this tournament right, seated 22nd. Right. And we don't think she played like amazingly above herself or her best tennis en route to this final necessarily. Sure. But we're also not surprised she made the final. Right? Because, like, we know her quality and and her path was not hard Yep. on paper. Like, she didn't have to play a top 20 player. She got some breaks there. After coming out of the, the hard quarantine, she deserved some breaks and she got them. And so maybe that was sort of indicative of what the top 10, or sorry, what the top half was shaped out to be, that Brady was able to get to the final without playing a top 20 player. Um, that is what it is. But, yeah, the, the Brady again backs it up and becomes this like force i think is it's again part of the sort of the new paradigm shifting normal like the new stasis like the brand new stability that like that she's somebody else bankable who's becoming a slam in slam out sample size small of two but still like a reliable threat to go but, deep at these tournaments but what you're terming as a paradigm shift is just like like all that it is is that the rankings just don't match because of the, they're frozen, who's playing well? It's not a paradigm shift. If no, like, no somebody's I'm saying being... I'm saying paradigm shift that have the same players go deep at back to back, quote sort of back to back slams in U.S. and and Melbourne. That's what I'm saying, right? And that and that they're not necessarily players who are one, two, three, four. That it's Brady, Ser Brady and Serena specifically sure, are sure, not sure. top eight players at those tournaments. And and 
I don't remember what a sock was. Ranked yeah, but York, that's that head, second but, part. Yeah. I'm not going to belabor this, but I'm saying, but I just think that that second part of what you're saying that they're not one, two, three, four, or like whatever has a lot to do with the frozen rankings. That their their ranking does not match what we think, and what we think that they have proven that they can do. So therefore, there's like a disconnect there. But we're not surprised by the result. No, but I would also I'm also saying that I'm also saying in terms of the shift, like I would feel pretty good about expecting Brady and I don't know what her schedule, I don't know if Osaka talks about her schedule or not. I don't know what she's going to play, if she's playing Middle East or not or anything. But to go to go into the next tour events and to like, and to do well, you know, I think like to the extent, well, it's tough with both Osaka and Serena because they schedule very light. So it's tough to know like what kind of results they're going to stack up or build in terms of resume on tour. Sorry, I have, I've, I'll be honest, I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about at this point. <laughs> I'm not sure I do either. So like, just... I, just, I have no idea where we are in this conversation because it was it went from Brady and now we're talking about what tournaments Serena and Naomi are playing. I got confused by the word paradigm. I, I, just, I think that was just I don't know my, what happened. I don't know level. if that was good listening, but I just, I completely lost you. I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> okay, let's just talk about Jen Brady It then, is, by the right? way, six o'clock in the morning for me. I, I can we're see the sunlight for you. So it's 9 a.m. Yeah. for Ben. So it's, it's, it's late. Okay, Jen Brady, she's pretty great, huh? She's awesome. Like, she's been fun. She's we been, love she Jen. Was a lot of fun. I feel like I feel like way more than at the U.S. Open. Interestingly, I feel like people really got to know her during this tournament, yeah. which is unusual. Maybe it's a little surprising because that was her first tournament. That was where she was an American in America. But at this tournament, maybe people started taking her more seriously because she was a name who was sort of proving herself and wasn't just a a fluke on any level. Um, not that I think people really thought that in New York, but it's still much more dated to back in up. In New hey, York, she, it's hard. She ha- she was competing against Naomi Osaka, Serena Williams, and Victoria Azarenka for space, right? That's yeah. a semifinalist slot during yeah. a pandemic slam. Yeah. Not a You're lot right. of ink there. <laughs> so it I just in terms of just like, I think we talk about her game a lot on this show, right? In terms of what we like about her weapons, but it's like tough personality for a bit. Because sure. like seeing like her, like when I, I think, Australian Open posted like a bunch of clips from her press conferences at various times. And she was not somebody who I think had a reputation at all before this tournament of being like podium gold. I don't think that was at all her sort of her sort of calling card. But like, see, you know, even when I was just asking her, like, did you expect when you were in quarantine? And she just started shaking her head like real slow. At a <laughs> she's laughing very visual. She's a visual. Yeah, she, like She's you... a very expressive face, yeah. too. Like she's kind of <laughs> it's funny because we were both <laughs> before the show started. Courtney was working on her incredible um, Roberta Vinci impression. <laughs> You say working on as though like I'm practicing it. I've nailed it. I think you're always perfect. I think you're always perfecting it. That's what I mean. Always perfecting it. And what is Roberta Vinci's like famous phrase? Okay. (laughs) Okay. But it's sort of like a full body. You've you've seen Roberta Vinci like after she beats Serena or any other time. It's this very sort of full body like because she doesn't feel confident in English, (laughs) obviously, but she still wants to be very expressive that she's like it's very, very all over the place and and sort of cartoonish. And Brady, interestingly, who is obviously very fluent English, sort of the same thing. Like she just like emotes big and she has like a very expressive face. It's another real way to say it. And she is not at all shy about using her face <laughs> like she there's no poker face happening here and actually Lindsay gibbs tweeted that during the final she was like one thing i enjoy about jenna brady she makes it clear that you don't need a poker face for success <laughs> yep and um and yeah so that just tee up wherever you want to take that but like it's just been cool seeing her be herself and be like relaxed and having people really appreciate that and enjoy her people have really liked her in this tournament yeah i, I love the jen brady glow up and it's much deserved and she has low-key i mean you know, on tour, she's comp- she's so beloved. Like you, you can't find a single person who has a bad thing to say about Jen Brady. She 
is like one of those players who is just up in everybody's Instagram comments, like just giving people crap. And it's great. And so she is very much that player who now, you know, she's going to be likely eventually the top 10 player. She'll be number 13 on Monday. This is in frozen rankings, which means that she's got to be up there of like, you know, probably, you know, close to top 10 um, if all the rankings points were normalized. Oh, easily, easily. Yeah. So and, you know, on tour, we all know her and she's super chilled out. And what's nice is that now that she is, you know, Grand Slam finalist, Grand Slam semifinalist, like soon to be, you know, top 10, you know, whatever, that she still kind of acts as though she is that. 40th ranked player in the world, 50th ranked player in the world, eighth down on the American depth chart. You know, yeah. nobody pays attention to me. Like I just go about and do my business. Um, so she does, she hasn't changed in how she is all the time anyway, um, which has been really, really nice and really refreshing. You know, like she's still out there congratulating Marie Bojkova for making the Philip Philip Island trophy final at two o'clock in the morning, Melbourne time. Like That's Jen. so cool. Like, Go to can, sleep, dude. Like, what's can you, going like, on? Can you explain, like, why that's so remarkable? Just the yeah, I mean, well, yeah. yeah, it was it was the night. Uh, it would have been, you know, Jen had just won her semifinal that day. Uh, obviously, there was the Phillip Island Trophy 250 that was also going on on site. Marie Bojkova made the final. And it was 2 a.m. in Melbourne when clearly Jen Brady was lying in bed, like, you know, scrolling on the phone and tweeted her tweeted a congratulations to Marie for making the final. It was just it was really nice. It was just a very normal thing to do. And so it was kind of nice to see Jen just continuing to do. She was like giving me crap and Chris Everett crap for for tweets that we had put out. Not crap, like just like we were bantering back and forth. And yeah not changing at all so you can see in the congratulations if you see like a lot of players were she was the locker room fave going into that final only because like she's just so beloved and um and yeah so it's it's great to see that she's incredibly expressive i encourage anybody to to watch her semi-final winning press conference which was hilarious on every level even the final she was down but she's still just funny and the thing that struck me during this tournament that i realized because Especially in against Mukhova, she was absurdly expressive because she was going through some emotions in that match. Mm -hmm. But uh, she reminded me a lot. I was getting the same sensation watching Jen as I get when I watch Bianca, which is that they're they pull you in. Like if you act because of how all the emotions on every point, like they express. And they let you know. And so, like, that final game against Mukova, like, if you guys can find it, pull it up. That was fantastic. It is just absurd. Like, It's a ride. It's a ride, and she's going through it. Like, she is not pretending that it is not what it is. (laughs) You know? Like, she's, like, straight up, this is, I'm trying to get into a freaking Grand Slam final. Like, why is this not working for me? Like, you know, and why can't you just mit- like just miss? Like, you know, like it like everything about it was so human and normal. It was super great. So yeah, I'm just I'm just so happy for Jen. Like she deserves it. She's been putting in the work. Um, I mean, I think somebody was I think maybe it was USTA or somebody posted like a few photos of like her over the years. Jenny Brady has been putting in the work. Like she is like strong like bull now. Um, in terms of how seriously she takes her career, how how 
much work she's done on the physical side, mental side, game side. Um, and you love to see it and you love to see it be rewarded. So I hope she gets that ribeye steak and that she gets to sleep for, for a week and a half before she, she gets back on the court. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's good stuff. I mean, she acquitted herself incredibly well. I really thought she did. Yeah, absolutely. The, my favorite sort of moment of the tour uh, appreciating her was obviously uh, her reaction to Sue Wei Instagramming about her, as you asked about in uh, Impress. And her, her oh, what an honor. <laughs> Just the whole thing was, was wonderful. <laughs> the little fist, the little fist, pump. The little fist pump to herself, like, let's go. Like, it's so good. So good. It's yeah. so great. But she's she's great. She's she's And she's good people. And she just goes about it the right way and handles it well and has a great, like, backstory as well. I mean, she was telling me, like, about how her, like, she had an enormous temper when she was younger and how I was mm. like, how bad was it? And she was like so embarrassed to like recount like how bad it used to get like when she was a junior and throwing rackets and cursing and almost got kicked off a court by a, her own coach <laughs> <laughs> for for cursing, um, how she embarrassed her mom like at tournaments because of how she uh. behaved, like all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot roiling beneath there you know yeah. that she's had to kind of wrangle to to be the player that she is now it's a really good story i also just think that she should be really inspiring for the field and for even people who are aren't even considered the field because she was a player who went to college tennis especially for women going to college tennis means you're not expected to do big things as a pro right away or maybe at all honestly and that she wasn't someone who was at all like I, I'm looking and this is not me meant as a slight at her, but I'm looking at the rankings and seeing that she's now and you mentioned her like you think of her being like number eight on the American ladder. But now she's like ahead of Madison Keys, who's like somebody who was so, you know, so much groomed for greatness and destiny and Kristen from a very early age. Um, and that can have a lot of, you know, baggage to it for sure. But Brady didn't have that. But Brady also didn't have anyone telling her you know, convincingly, you're going to be amazing or repeatedly, you're going to be like, you're doing whatever, but she's still proving people wrong, I guess, or exceeding expectations. Cause I don't think she thinks of it as like, I'm sticking to the haters. I think she's just really just like expanding what's possible for herself. That's, that's, a, that's a really good way to put it because what I have found inspiring about the Brady story and, and not my toot my own horn, but I've been on it for like two years now. And I did interview her when she choked a lead against Modenovich at the French Open. We were Open. both there. I were you both? That. The, yeah, there was that. like a between mm -hmm. two ferns interview. Exactly. <laughs> like it was, those, in that little area. Yeah, that, she was like, where there's it, literally it, it, two it, ferns. A really loud crowd against Modenovich, and who just like, she was going through it. Yeah, she, and Jen was so just shattered uh, with how she choked it. But, um, but yeah, just to see a player who. In all ways, when you talk to Jen, she's just like a very normal American tennis player who could very easily just have like a steady career, you know, be a top top 40 player, play Fed Cup, you know, and, and it can all be fine. And, and for her to at, you know, 24, 25 decide, I think I want more and to just completely go out on a limb and hire Michael Gesserer to then. Like they didn't even know each other. They barely talked to each other. Michael had to like Google her to even know who she was. And Michael mm -hmm. was Julia Gerges's coach. He's not like a random coach yeah. that wouldn't know WTA players. And he had to like look up who Jen Brady was, you know, and to invest in her career and to take those risks and to see that all pay off and to see the amount of work that she's put into herself to get the best out of her. I think that that's, you know, that's beyond a tennis story. I think that's just like a really good human story of just like, 
yeah, you can, it's all, it's all between the ears, right? Like you just, you can decide to take control. And she did. I think, yeah, I, you mentioned the Americans and the last sort of thing I'll say on this is like, I, I was talking to Monty Carroll about it actually. And I would love for him to write the story. I'd love for a non-American to write the story, but there's this whole group of Americans in this kind of generation. Shelby is right in there too. Pagula's in there. You could put uh, Danielle Collins in there, I guess, if you wanted to. Um, who are sort of expanding, and Allison Risk, I would put in there too, who are having these like sort of mid-career in middle age in tennis terms, like mid-late 20s, like surges, being players yeah. who weren't necessarily expected to do big things to suddenly becoming like consistently really solid players on tour and slam players and not all peaking at the same time. You know, like they're in the same generation roughly as like Keys and Vandaway, who are all sort of in this group and they're not obviously all risk kind of is better maybe 18 months ago or so but like it's an interesting it, i think it speaks really well to the sort of culture around american tennis in that group that this, yeah. this all it's all generating really positive results for this whole this whole cross-section no, it's, of people it's a, it's a great yeah. point you know i mean danielle collins australian open semi-finalist ali risk like wimbledon's right like shelby like what was it back-to-back quarters or something uh maybe not yeah. back-to-back but did she make quarters she yeah she made no, she made she round made of sixteen. Fourth round, fourth round, 16, round yeah. yeah. Back uh, second week, so yeah, and at, then at the hard court slam exactly, and then obviously Brady. Um, it's a good, it's a good vibe, I think, amongst the American girls, and and the really great thing is that they they are just so supportive of each other, like in a very yeah. like earnest and real, honest way, you know, which is great yeah. to see. And like the Gula and Brady during this tournament were great together, yeah. with the whole camera stuff and everything. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Jesse's so great. That's a good, we, we love Jesse. Jess- she's 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 good peeps. Yeah. She's good peeps. And see our bump for Jesse Pagula coming yes. after her first round of making quarters. So you're welcome, Buffalo. <laughs> it was so fun. There was somebody, one of the matches, I watched, I watched almost all her matches just based on, just kind of coincidentally, um, this match. And I like watching her play Pagula too. Just I love her yeah. ball striking. Yeah. But one of the commentators, an Aussie woman, I'm not sure which one, maybe Fleming, was like, I don't know where she found this, but it was like reading the character traits of Buffalo, the animal. And being and like describing if they apply to Pagula, being like they're known for being like opinionated and stubborn and like and maybe so is Pagula. I was like, this is not no, you don't need to cross reference her to like large prairie mammals. Like Buffaloes what is even happening? Are opinionated? Do, I don't know do what they, the adjectives were. Do they write op eds all... for the Wall Street Journal? Have <laughs> I, they been submitted? I I oh don't my. know. I don't even okay. know. Uh anyway, enough on that. Um yes. brief note before we sign off Courtney on the men's final, which is happening. Uh, in about uh, doing some math, like eighteen hours from now of recording, I know you're an um, an enjoyer of Daniil Medvedev. Let's say I'm not sure how much of you whom you've actually seen outside of the gifts and the arm situation that was happening. Are you excited for that that men's match? I am. Watch? Yeah, no, I I will definitely. Well, what time is it on? <laughs> it's three thirty a.m. or twelve thirty a.m. Wait, they don't time. they don't they don't shift it forward for a best of five. No. That is crazy. That means that you yeah. guys don't get out of. Oh my god! There have been some late nights, like that, that night when the, yes. the twenty twelve final. Yeah. yeah, it was crazy. Okay, yeah. that's uh, that's unfortunate for everybody. Well, I guess everybody's out of outside of the Aussie time zone, so maybe it's better. I don't know. I don't know if I'll be watching it because of that time time zone. We will see. I'm kind of looking forward to just kind of signing off after this one, um, but who knows? Maybe I will. I probably will. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited. I haven't watched him play much during the tournament. I did watch him against Tsitsipas. That was great. I mean, performance from him. I, I obviously, I actually, I didn't really have a favorite in that match, to be quite honest. Yeah. Like I was, I, yeah, I'm happy for Stefanos that he was able to get that win over Rafa, but um, 
I don't know, man. I like I like watching Mevitiv play. Like I just I just like it. It's enjoyable. It's it again, not to go back to her, but it, it, again, it's like watching Bianca play. Like I I was bummed that she had to bow out in the second round, but then getting to watch her play a few like absurd three set rope a dope matches in the Phillip Island trophy was still really fun. And it just doesn't even matter if she's playing well or not, which she does intermittently in the same match. Yeah. That's why they're three setters, um, at least right now. But it's just enjoyable. Like I just like that brand of tennis. And I feel like like Daniil kind of does a similar kind of thing sometimes where you just don't because I just don't know what I'm gonna see from point to point. There's just there's so much for both of them. There's so much charisma in how they play mm-hmm. and how they approach being on this stage that is tennis. And both of them, especially when they're sort of, you know, whatever the kids want to say, like goading or like being, you know, unbeatable, which both of them, both is interesting comparison to Andrescu, both Andrescu and Medvedev have gone through those stretches in their career. Um, Medvedev's in one currently. It, 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 I, I was talking to him about this too. I forget. I don't think it was on the show, but like Medvedev, if and when he gets there, would be such a fascinating number one. Like he'd <laughs> yes. be the like such a fun person to be like the king of the tour. Yeah. With like his sort of like unique brand of like just like destroying people and like making people feel bad about themselves on court. He'd be such a like a like a really But then being like super classy like, and art and articulate and charismatic yeah. on a mic. Like yeah. dude's got dude gives good press. Like, yeah. you know, and oh, yeah. he's he's smart and but then he does all that weird trolling like stuff that it's a fascinating package. I'm so about it. I mean, it's, yeah, I don't know. Like, I have to say before we go, just shout out to Bianca Andrescu because I missed it and I did not realize how much I had missed it yeah. until she played again. And I was like, damn, I missed this. Like, Andrescu Brengel was friggin' fun. It was fun <laughs> with the birds. <laughs> and both of them were so mad and annoyed. And oh, it was great. And I mean, even, you know, she, she, um, I think was it yeah, Bojkova saved match points against her in the semifinals. Um and that and they've now played like two like three plus hour absolute just like like just body blow matches, just grinders. It just I don't know, man. I don't know what I'm gonna get when I tune into a, a Bianca Andreescu match, but I know I'm gonna have a good time. And I just missed it. I I really did. Um, you know, tough that she had to go about in the second round. You lose to say Shay Suwe though, who, you know. Had her incredible no, backed run, up, backed it up, backed it up, which was great. But um, but yeah, I'm I'm happy to get Bianca back on the board. That was that was big. I forgot, I forgot. Getting Bianca back, hopefully, fingers crossed. Also, we keep Kalkanakis around. He's another person. Mm, who's like yes, one of those ones you watch and you're like, oh, I wish we had had more of this consistently because it's just like a fun, yep. charismatic value add personality and tennis is built around those Gr- sort of characters. And those great sort of to see stars, Nicholas again. Honestly. Yeah, Nicholas Kyrgios. Back at it, seemingly, you know, more mature and thoughtful. I don't know. To a point. I mean, okay. <laughs> I <laughs> Since this might be the last show, I don't know if you're going to be on the show for what we do for the men's final. If you're going to watch that, if you're not going to watch it, we won't have you on. We kind of made that mistake during the French Open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The way that, like, the ESPN, so this is a segue, has been, like, talking about this Hawkeye Live as if it's going to solve every problem, make everything drama free. Kyrgios was still finding ways to complain about the net let machine constantly. Like, you're only going to, like, you can eliminate one problem. People still need their outlets. People still need to vent. One of the things, one of the lines that specifically annoyed me during, I guess it was during Serena Sabalenka? Maybe Serena Halep? I think it was Serena Sabalenka. 
they sort of imply that like if there was Hawkeye line, that Serena never would have had her like meltdowns against chair empires before. And I was like, that's, I was like, no, that was for hindrance. That was for coaching. That was for verbal abuse, racket abuse, whatever it was. Like none of those things are about out calls. One of them was a foot fault. Even I don't think foot faults. I'm actually not 100% sure how they call foot faults with Hawkeye Live. It's Hawkeye Live. Okay. But you still could argue it for sure. Or she still could have gotten, (laughs) you can't shove a ball down a a machine's TPU or whatever. Or if it's a machine might have, I don't know. Um, But yeah, it, it, (laughs) I don't even know what to say, but just like, it was too much. The, 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 the reactions to Hawkeye Live were, were, it's an interesting one. I would entertain a thorough and more interesting, substantive, intelligent discussion weighing both sides because I yeah. do think that there are merits. Maybe we'll do that on a show. Maybe we'll do that on a show sometime soon. Like, yeah, but like an ed- like an educated take on it, and not just like yeah. I like this more. Like that's not an educated take. Like it's not because I gotta say, you know I, what I mean. Go ahead. Sorry. My reaction is I think it did help speed up matches. I think. It's tough to know how much was that and how much was the no towels thing. Because I think the no towels thing makes a huge difference. Putting the towel way inconvenient on the side of the court. People just don't need the towel. To the point where Tsitsipas was dripping a lot against Mevita. I was like, get a towel, son. You you need the towel. But I do feel like it kind of made things feel a little more sterile. Like, just like it, it took out a beat. Like, it sort of removed something from the the scenery or the well, sort of the, the cast of, it, of people in court, not that they're they're obviously very bit parts the line judges in most cases, but like it's still just I don't know it made things a little bit too felt clipped or rushed or something. Every like just like play a point, move on right away. Like I, I understand why players might like it, but as a viewer, I didn't I totally love it. I didn't. What I missed and what I think matches missed is that moment where it is a big point and somebody hits an ace, and the challenge comes. And there's a 15 second, 20 second pause in the action where everybody kind of snaps out of whatever they were doing and zones in to see if this call was in or out. And it's a, oh, uh, like whatever. And it's a big moment. And it's this artificially, arguably created moment, but it's still a moment where, you know, whereas there were just so many times where a call would be close and we just blew right past it. Yeah. And it was like a really big point. And it was just like, boom, it was in. And you're like, but I would actually, I would love to see a replay of that. Like, you know, and you yeah. know, and, and we and all like know the commentators were like mocking some, mocking them for sometimes like asking for the, the spot. I was like, I would want to see, I would want closure on that. If the spot is available, I would ask for the spot just to see, did it catch the full line? Did it catch just a, a, a millimeter? Whatever it is. And the other thing I was going to say is one of the things that I think was obviously former players almost entirely on these calls on ESPN. And one of the things they were saying is how it really reduce your stress when you're on court as a player. I'm sorry. I don't watch sports to see people not be stressed. <laughs> I just don't. I want to see my athletes a little stressed out there. You know, I want to see people going through it and handling the moment. I don't need everybody to be totally Xanaxed out getting, you know, Manny petties at a spa while they play their Look, Grand Slam tennis. No, ma'am. Bianca Brengel was compelling stuff because of the birds. <laughs> Like, it was like a fear birds... factor match. <laughs> like animals and wildlife and excrement just, and everything. There were things happening. And Madison was asking the umpire, can you please tell me if there's bird poop on my head? And there was a lot of stuff that Madison Brangle Madison and Bianca Andreski was dealing wanted with. wanted to kill a bird. She said it out loud. That's not slander. She said, I want to kill a bird. <laughs> and she cocked her racket back, ready to kill some birds. Repeatedly. I guess. I je- I, there was one where I really thought she was going to go after a bird. I was like, please don't do that. Like, 
we're gonna get so much trouble um but yes to your point there there's a lot to be said about yeah about sports not happening in a hermetically sealed environment but outside of that even that is is again like i said like i would love to hear like a genuine good faith discussion of the merits yeah. and demerits of the issue i am not convinced that i have heard that discussion no. over the last well, two weeks well maybe we'll try to have it it'll be a goal for ncr that's during my, these next, that's next my next point months. Like, I As remember uh, uh, Roland Garros, they actually had a great discussion uh, on Tennis Channel mm -hmm. at the French Open. There was like a nine to ten minute segment that they that did Hawkeye on, clay, yeah. on Hawkeye on Clay, which was really great. And it was John Wertheim and it was Shonda Rubin and Steve Weissman. And they really like laid the case out like objectively for both sides of what the situation was. That was, I thought, like, what a piece of journalism. Honestly, I'm not even being facetious. Like, I was like, thank you for just, like, being fair and acting in good faith, you know, and not just, like, whatever. But, yeah. yeah. There's not enough of that out there. Yeah. Not on, on that, that topic. No. On that note, Courtney, thank you for being here and sharing it's your a pleasure. tennis wisdom. Glad we got out of whatever paradigm rut we were in there for a while in the middle there. It got dodgy, but we pulled out of it uh, in, in fine form. We want to thank all of you for shifting our paradigms with your support. Uh, they include people, actually a couple people who I've forgotten to thank earlier in the tournament I need to thank. Hold please. A couple names of people who I don't think I've, I've thanked on Patreon. Sorry, I don't think I've thanked, thanked the podcast for joining Patreon who I was supposed to during this tournament who include Sudarshan Venkatesh and Adam Bartle. So thank you to both of them. And thank you to our Slam Champ backers. We thank every episode. Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Betty, Audrey Welland, Sean Mulroy, Anna Valinder, Susanna W., Jean Simeon, and Antonio Maycumber. And our GOAT backers, Mike, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, and J.O.D. Now, that you, if this is your last episode, Courtney, again, we would love to see you for the men's final discussion <laughs> to talk about Medvedev. Uh, but if this is any any anything you're going to do that you've been like waiting to do once you can get off of Australia time and like back a little bit towards a normal life. I know obviously in your current gig, you gotta be on weird time zones lots of times and you have Doha and Dubai coming up in the future and whatever else, but like anything you're looking forward to is like a treat at the end of the tunnel for once you get out of this uh, koala mode. For sure. I mean, I just, I mean, today it started. I definitely played about five hours of Fortnite by myself. Mm -hmm. uh, not by myself, obviously it's a multiplayer game. Um, but that was really fun. And I'm so I'm looking forward to getting back to my video gaming, which was it was just a really nice five hours, honestly, just Good. still high stress. And I'm still annoyed about a couple of things. I finished number I finished second in four straight games, which means that like the winner basically shot me. Yeah, it, it was one on one. And I'm really mad about it still hours later. How many um, games do they, how many players do they start with? Well, I think it's what is Battle Royale? I think it's um like 60, 70, 80, somewhere around there. You came in second out of 80? That's really good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have a strategy that it's not, I mean, the, <laughs> the goal is to win, right? Not to like finish by ranking because you could just, oh, no, it's no, a huge no. battle map. And so you can like- You can hide. Hide for a while. So, you know, and then like, oh, there's 10 people yeah. and then you run out. But I don't do that. I actually do other tasks and stuff. I'm weird about the tasks. I get, pick up XP doing other things. Anyways, so there's that. I also, um, despite the fact that I have probably a stack of like 30 board games that I do need to just get played, like I want to play them. I did buy myself a new board game <laughs> Nice. <laughs> that I will, that I'm looking forward to playing when all is said and done. Um, 
which is Gloomhaven Jaws of something. I can't remember what it's completely called, but it's a smaller version of Gloomhaven because um, Gloomhaven is too much. So that's mainly what I'm looking for. And just movies. I'm looking forward to just having movie time. Nomadland on Hulu now. Looking forward I know. to that. Need, need to, hit, need to, to that. hit up Nomadland. Um, if you can, watch Minari. Incredible. Is it, so is it available? somewhere uh i don't know if it's available anywhere i got a, i got in on a on a on a screening yeah um yeah. a few a few uh weeks ago but minari's fantastic good looking forward to that and I'm... i've seen i saw promising young woman oh i haven't that. seen it yet so let me I'm watch it and we can discuss yeah yeah, yeah we'll, exactly. do, we'll do a um have it on patreon we'll do before the oscars we'll do like a, a movie Ooh, show okay yeah that'd we'll be get fun. the nominations and get a little bit more sense of what that'd be fun what's um i'm also looking forward to just based off of the, I have really enjoyed reading the reviews of Malcolm and Marie because okay. they have been scathing. <laughs> like the takedowns of this film have been some of the best literature I've read of the last five years. So I'm kind of um, really looking forward. And it's terrible because I've read the reviews. So I'm kind of going into the movie somewhat biased, but I'm kind of looking forward to hate watching it <laughs> because it sounds like exactly the type of film that I would not like at all because I'm not really a Zendaya person and I definitely not a John David Washington person. Okay. So, so that's my thought. But the not... writer is a, like, I have issues with the writer as well. So a writer director, Sam Levinson anyways. Yeah. Knowing so. almost nothing about this movie. I will say John David Washington in black Klansman was awful. I know you didn't I like him at all. I hated that movie and thought it was so that movie was so disappointing on a lot of levels. And Can like, ugh, and he was really not see, good You haven't seen Tenet, have you? No. You've seen that too? Oh my God. Okay. So I was forced to watch Tenet by I a friend of ours. I can imagine by who. I can imagine by who. And at the end of the film, I was so mad. I, I wanted that three hours of my life back. And that dude was not good in it. Pats was fine. The movie was crap. I hated it. I genuinely dislike just disliked the movie at such yeah. a visceral level. It was pointless. But yeah, I sorry, bro. Like I, I am yet to be impressed by any. I mean, he didn't bother me in Black Klansman the way that he bothered you. I just Black Klansman as a movie bothered me. I just thought it was like. Oh, I enjoyed it. Mm. I really liked it. The one thing, okay, <laughs> I love this movie, this episode, so I'm going to discuss Sorry. Black Klansman. No, it's fine. <laughs> but the one thing that I kind of liked about Black Klansman is I thought that maybe intentionally, maybe not, I kind of don't think it was intentional, but you can tell me if I'm wrong. I thought they captured the sort of Trumpy and even actually even more recent Trumpy, like combination of Trump supporters being both comically pathetic, but also still scary. Yeah, no, in their, for sure. In their in their depictions of like the the stuff, the David but Duke I, character, and like yeah, all, and then the yeah, but the also scene, like the all scene with Adam Driver and the interrogation. Yeah, I mean that scene yeah. was like the other thing. My issue was that Adam Driver got all like it was an Adam Driver movie. The other guy was like basically making prank phone calls. Like it just it was the whole sort it was of a plot bit jerky was like, boys. Yeah, exactly. It was just sort of jerky boys. <laughs> <laughs> it was just sort of like it didn't give him a lot to for someone who was like. The picture is, you know, the poster, let's say, is like him, like in like a white hood being like, I'm infiltrating the clan. It's like, uh, you made prank phone calls. Like, I understand this being like fun that you got to talk on the phone to David Duke and didn't know you were black. And that's the real thing that happened. But also like the movie and I can go, I don't want to get this deep into this movie. I had a lot of thoughts about back three years ago that I've worked through with, you know, various professionals. Clearly. And now. <laughs> but one of the main, pro one of the main things that actually, and this is again, something that's relevant to modern times, sadly. One of the main things that this guy, the real life guy did in 
in his work in with the Colorado, whatever Aurora, whatever Colorado de- police department he was in, was finding people who were in like high level military clearance positions who had ties to white supremacist groups, and that's still an issue. Yeah, and, but they completely glossed over that part of his work in the movie in order to focus on there being some sort of like never happened bombing towards like you know some sort of meeting of of black activists um and also the romance i hated in that movie <laughs> i thought she could do so much better than him i never understood why she was retracted to him but none that, of it but worked. that has, there was one, but, uh, the that one has scene. to do with him yes that with has john to do david with washington. john david washington i agree That's i agree problem, i agree yeah. i agree and but also just the idea that he was a cop and like why would this woman be da- like this guy who like didn't really match any of her principles it didn't make any sense except for i'll make this our outro the one scene i did like in black Klansman yeah was the, the dance was the scene? disco scene yeah, yeah the, so good the, can't what is it um can't believe can't believe can't believe i'm falling in love yeah it's good I'm gonna, that's our outro that was a beautiful scene no but that's i mean I, scene. I really i really liked black landsman myself but like um but yeah i had a very big issue with him just not really being selling it but well, he's, it didn't he's bother Denzel's me at the kid, end right let's just yeah, cut to the chase no, this I is know. probably what they're saying no, that's sam levinson too like this is just nepotism in, in action if this guy who we don't think is great is getting all these roles but like like mal <laughs> Because it's Malcolm, it's it's John David Washington Zendaya playing a couple who, and like he, Malcolm is a director and she's his much younger girlfriend. And the whole thing is like, because it was filmed in quarantine about uh, just like, like, and it's written and directed by Sam Levinson. Sam Levinson's a white guy mm-hmm. who's the son of Barry Levinson, yep. famous uh, producer um, and director. And director. But um, yeah, all of that. But so, and, and like... Apparently, I'm shaking my head about how much I don't like Diner, for those of you who can't see. Oh, Diner's great. Eh, no. You're a crazy person. I am, but I own it. Fair. Um, but uh, but so Malcolm, John David Washington's character, is a director, and he, like, basically, like, compl- like the whole movie is him, like, bitch- they just got home from an award show, and he's, like, complaining about, basically, all the reviews that I've read is, like, people being, like, Sam Levinson is using this... Sam Levinson, white guy, is using like this trope of like a you know a black director to like voice his complaints about critics, like Los Angeles critics. <laughs> and 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 I don't know. There's a lot of like very good like 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 writing about all of this and how like the like everybody's just like this is bullshit. <laughs> Okay. Um, it doesn't work. Um, so I'm curious to watch it. So I do look forward to kind of delving into that. I don't normally watch things like that, but the reviews are so scathing. I just have to see. Yeah, you're not about. a hate watcher. I'm not a hate watcher, but this one I'm kind of curious. <laughs> On that note, we're curious for this men's final. We're curious for seeing wonderful things from Naomi Osaka and Jim Brady. And we'll see you one more time during this house open. Bye, guys. Ciao, ciao. Can't believe, can't believe, can't believe. I met this little woman I feel it's happened to me And I'm telling you It's too late to turn back now I believe, I believe, I believe I'm falling in love It's too late to turn back now I believe, I believe, I believe I'm falling in love I found myself phone.